the way home with Laura Smith, the show that brings you wonderful guests, helpful advice, and uplifting stories. The way home. Live inspired. Here's your host, Laura Smith. I've been truly inspired over the last several weeks. We have started our summer reading uh, sessions, I guess you could call it here, on the way home. So lots of authors with wonderful books. And I've tried to grab different titles and different topics so there's something for everyone. And so many of them are so deeply moving and make me just very grateful to be able to um, not only bring them to you, but also to learn about them myself. The first guest today is Beth Ann Blackwood, and she has a very moving book. In fact, it's called Moving Forward, Looking Back. Life, Love, and Loss, One Year in Coping with Grief. She lost the love of her life, and she journaled it and then realized that maybe this could help someone else who is dealing with the loss of a loved one, in her case, her partner in life. And so it's a love story, but she's also hoping that it ends up being guidance for people who may be currently going through something difficult in their lives. Moving forward, looking back. And after that, we have an amazing gentleman by the name of John Zangula. He's Hungarian, uh, but back all the way back in 1957, he's 86 years old. Yes, 86 years old and just wrote this book, which is really the memoir of his life. Uh, growing up in communist Hungary and then escaping and coming to America and living his dream. His book is called From Utopia to the American Dream. And he tells these really incredible stories, you know, things that the move, the things that movies are made of. In fact, uh, they are looking to make this into a movie as well. His life of being in Hungary during the, uh, revolution in Hungary, and then coming to America and literally living out every one of his dreams, childhood dreams, an actor, starting 20 different companies, uh, sailing, becoming a pilot. I mean, you name it, John Zangula did it. And from the vantage point of 86 years old, he has written all about it. And it's a fascinating story. It's all today on The Way Home with Laura Smith. And it's brought to you by Balance of Nature, fruits and veggies in a capsule. What goes with good reading? good nutrition. That's for sure. Balance of nature. You know, we take vacations a lot in the summer, right? We take, you know, I'm just going to take some time off from all the responsibilities and relax a little bit. However, one thing that you can't take off from, that's good nutrition. That is something that you have to focus on and worry about and think about 365 days of the year. And Balance of Nature makes it easy. With 31 fruits and vegetables in the capsules, when you take three and three, you're getting 10 servings a day of whole food because that's what's in the capsules. Nothing but whole food, the produce, has been pulverized and put into the capsules. So that's what you get. Amazing nutrition to keep you healthy all summer long, all spring long, all fall long, all year long. When we come back, we're going to be hearing from two great authors, as I said, Beth Ann Blackwood and John Zingula. Don't go away. You're listening to The Way Home. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Well, I just thought it would be such a fun idea to do a series of books, sort of a, a, a summer reading series. How about that? That sounds uh, familiar. A lot of people like to have different things to read over the summer, and I think this is a, a, a perfect time to pick up something new and fresh 
that you can learn from, maybe grow with and heal too. It's um, um, my pleasure to have Beth Ann Blackwood here. In addition to being an Amazon bestseller, she also works in law. She's run 42 uh, marathons, if you can imagine. But she has a, a new book that I think is going to be very moving for people and and help them too, indeed, if they have gone through a grief process or are in one just at the moment. Her new book is Moving Forward, Looking Back. How long does it take to move forward from the loss of the love of your life? Beth Ann Blackwood, thank you so much for joining us today on the way home. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, this this kind of leapt out at me. I had lost my dad five months ago, and it's still kind of surreal. Um, I had never really lost anyone, you know, really big in my life that I was very close to. And so I'm very fortunate being as old as I am only having lost my dear father just five months ago. But I have to say, uh, grief, um, this type of grief is different from any other type of grief that I've experienced. And um, it it feels like it's something that when you haven't gone through it before, you kind of don't know what to expect and and how it's going to play out and when and if you're going to get through it. So I think your book is is going to be a great comfort to a lot of people. Please uh, tell us about the the premise of the book, um, Losing Your Beloved Husband, Tom. And and incidentally, that was my dad's name as well. Um, (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Um, Well, the premise of the book, I I started writing it not as a book, but as a a weekly diary. Uh, And I decided daily was too frequent because it might make me more depressed but a weekly kind of log check-in of how I was feeling and what was happening. And my hope was that as I looked back, that I would see that I was getting better Um, because I'd been told it took a year, takes a year to be able to kind of get sort of back to normal. And I'm a very goal-oriented person, as you can tell, 42 marathons, blah, blah. So um, I, you know, I, kind of viewed this as okay we're going to bang this year out you know and i just i'm just gonna gonna um and i viewed it as making progress every week well that's not the way it goes and Mm -hmm. for a you know goal-oriented process-oriented person like me you know grief really was besides being just you know agonizing it's just a totally different obstacle to get through than anything i had ever been through in my life and and i had to learn to do it differently and um but um you know the good news is um it did get better um and uh, you know i finally kind of learned how to live in it uh and move through it and so about halfway or three quarters of the way through the book i thought you know what this might this might be a good book um and so um that's kind of how it started and, and how it became a book and I think a lot of people have found it so. And in writing it more as a journal or a diary, as you, a weekly diary, as you you mentioned, I think that's probably a very up close and personal, very raw way of of truly seeing what you're going through, as opposed to from a distance or writing about it clinically or theoretically about what it is to go through, move through a grief process. If you're perhaps a psychotherapist or something like that, um, your firsthand reporting of it makes it very real and very raw, but you have it. the interesting um, take where in addition to trying to move forward, you're also going back over through your relationship and that is spelled out as well. And I think that gives 
us an opportunity to see that, you know, life, even when when you have a love of your life, it can it's not always perfection every single moment of every day. (laughs) And so you give people an opportunity to see truly how real things were for you. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I think a normal part of grieving is to look back at, at your life and your life together, like with your dad, you know, looking back on the, I'm sure memories come to you all the time. And uh, when I was writing this, it was, you know, I thought, well, I'm just going to start at the beginning because it was a very, um, it was a very passionate, uh, tumultuous kind of relationship. Um, and so, and it wasn't perfect. And I think the imperfection is part of what, uh, so engrossed me in the relationship. And, and, you know, both of us were, were very imperfect. Um, we had a, a roller coaster relationship. Um, we were, uh, I mean, he was the love of my life. I was wildly in love with him, you know, the, you know, my whole life. And probably one of the things that made it that way is that, um, we were, you know, it was a challenging relationship for both of us, I am sure. Um, but uh, what one thing I found out with grief was that it doesn't matter if the relationship was perfect or imperfect, the grief is going to be just as profound. And with Tom, I knew that he was he was going to die. You know, he had a, a serious illness. I knew that he was going to die. And the fact that you know someone's going to die doesn't really make it any better either once they do die. I mean, it, it's like just the fact that you knew it was going to happen does not make anything any easier absolutely and especially you know one thing my father was 86 years old and my mother's grief is is, i would imagine somewhat different from my grief well i yeah absolutely different from my grief they were together for 70 years and you know in a marriage and you know and for me i'm just a a daughter who adored her father so it's it is i think different for people who are in a relationship but it also you know, the thing about a parent passing when they're in their mid 80s or 90s or whatever, you, you at least have this thing underneath that, wow, they had a long and great life and everything. I think it must be very different for someone who is, you know, in the middle of their life and losing the love of their life. So do you think that that kind of shaped the way you went through everything a little bit differently than if? If, if you were to lose a parent, say, um, more being your lover or your partner? I think it really did because, um, you know, I'm looking at the rest of my life, which, you know, may be a long time without Tom. And there was a period of time when, you know, we practiced law together and then, you know, we were married, so we were kind of together a lot. Um, and we cycled, you know, bicycled together. We, you know, we did a lot of stuff together. And so I felt like almost when I was moving forward and trying new things or even getting the new, entering a new law practice that I was somehow abandoning him. And it was, it was very, I felt very bad about that, but I knew that that had to be done. And then at some point I thought, you know, I really shouldn't look at this as me leaving him behind. I really should look at this as that he's waiting for me up there. Like if I'm floating down the river, he's, he's up there at the mouth of the river. And when I get there, I'll be able to tell him all about this and he'll be able to tell me his experiences. So I, you know, I reshaped the way I thought about it and that did make it better. Um, 
and then even still now, you know, I, I'm not interested in, in, in dating anybody. I kind of, I can't even imagine that happening. I mean, he was such a huge thing to thing in my life. Um, so you just got to kind of imagine, you know, reimagine your life, um, in a different way. And if you can look at it after you get over that initial, um, you know, I don't want to be here. I didn't want to be in this situation. Then you can, you can at some point after the grief subsides a bit, you can some point realize, Hey, there's a little bit of magic in being able to create a new life for myself. I mean, how many people get the chance to start over and do whatever they want? I mean, usually you've got a spouse or somebody else who's got a say in the thing. Well, Hey, I'm by myself just with pets. So you know they're going to go where I go. So, you know, there, there is some magic in that. And so I try to look at the magic and not the, not the, not the, uh, the absence of Tom. Yes. My guest is Beth Ann Blackwood. Her book is moving forward, looking back. And, uh, I think I, I found comfort myself and I don't know if that's what happened to you after you were able to emerge from the heaviness and you even explain it as depression even that happens. Sometimes grief is the, the instant thing, but then that grief sometimes turns into what can be depressing or, or depression. And, um, you know, one of the things that I found that helped me was that I, I just always would think my, my dad would not want me to be unhappy. He wouldn't want me to be here only grieving him. He wants to be remembered. Absolutely. My father had a great sense of self. He would want to be remembered, but he, in no way would he want me to be here completely floundering and, you know, devastated and not able to, to live life and, and enjoy it. So that helped me to an extent, but I wasn't in a deep depression again, like, you know, what you must have gone through because, you know, he was much, you know, older. And so I, you know, I had more peace in that. But, um, so when you feel that, that sense of depression, um, how, you know, talk to us about how people around you, were you able to, you know, take the love and care of others and, and incorporate that and use that? Or do you just feel so isolated? Um, I do think you, you can use the love and care of others. I think that's really important. But um, those people aren't going to want to, you know, hear how miserable you are, nor will you probably want to tell them that for as long as you will be miserable and feel like that. So um, a lot of it is very solitary. And that's why I do think it's a great idea to write down how you're feeling, because there is a catharsis in that. There's a release and putting it on paper or, you know, typing it on your computer, even if you're not talking out loud, there really is an emotional release with doing that. Um, and I think that's super helpful because even your really great friends aren't going to want to hear during the fourth and fifth month that you're still pretty miserable, you know, uh, or at least they're not going to talk about it for over 20 seconds. So uh, um, I think it's a it's a really valuable thing uh, mm-hmm. that you self with. And do you feel also by writing it down, you allow yourself to feel your feelings without feeling guilt or remorse over them. You can kind of really, truly allow yourself to feel them. Oh, yes. And, you know, I wouldn't feel comfortable about telling people how how utterly miserable I was even months after he left. I mean, most people, for example, I say in the book, you know, I spent a lot of time in bed. 
Now, anybody that knew me would never know that. I mean, because when I was out in public, I looked good. I sounded good. I was engaged in other people. You know, I did, I did those things, but I could have just spent eight hours in bed. Um, and I didn't really want to tell people that, you know, I wanted to look like I was doing pretty good. So, uh, so that's why I do think on paper, you can say it all. I mean, even if it makes you look like a, you know, you know, a wimp or a whiner, which is what I kind of, you know, would have felt like if I was saying that to somebody else, but to be able to say how you really feel, because it, you know, it, it is hard. I mean, there's just no getting around it. It is hard. Um, but it does get better. And I think if you write down and then you can look back, you can say, hey, you know what? I didn't think I was getting better, but I actually think I am getting better. And as you were getting better, was it something that you could you could actually like, like, would you wake up on a subsequent day and be like, I feel better today. I don't feel as heavy today. Where Was there that type of a process or was it just sort of like a long and winding road that eventually you look back and you go, hey, I don't feel as bad as I used to. How how did you sense that you were truly getting better? It was more of a like I'd, I'd wake up on a day and I'd be energetic and ready to go. And, you know, I'd be thinking of some other things and I think, wow, things are getting better. Now, you got to look out because you could take another dip. But having had that time where you felt great, you know, you know, it's going to happen again. Um, and then the other thing was, I know I talked about in the book, I, I took up some new activities, which I also think is great. You can take up something new that you and your loved one did not do together. One, it takes focus to do that. Two, it's not going to remind you of that person. So I was learning to swim so I could do triathlons. Um, and then I bought a horse and was trying to learn to ride a horse, neither of which Tom ever had anything to do with. And it takes a lot of focus. And so you find during the time you're trying to learn that, you're not thinking about Tom. And then I remember I, I went to, this was probably six months after Tom died. I, I did a, a race and, you know, I swam and didn't drown and I did the run and the bike and everything. And then I was in my car driving home and I thought, you know what? There were a few minutes there when I actually felt joy and mm. that, you know, and then I thought, you know what? I, I am going to be okay. I felt some joy. That's wonderful. That is wonderful. And the fact that you've openly shared the, the process and the journey to getting to that place of joy again, I think it's going to be a great help to a lot of people, Beth Ann. Beth Ann Blackwood is my guest. Moving Forward, Looking Back is her new book. How long does it take to move forward from the loss of the love of your life? Probably a lot of deep wisdom in there and a whole lot of raw emotion, but that indeed can maybe be somewhat of a blueprint or help at least somebody who is also going through any type of grief whatsoever. Thank you for sharing it. That's really uh, an amazing thing that you have brought this to light for people, because I think that's why you did it more than it just being a selfish pursuit of trying to get better. You truly are hoping, I think, to move people um, that are possibly going through something similar as you. So thank you so much, Beth Ann. Well, thank you so much for having me. Beth Ann Blackwood, Moving Forward, Looking Back is a book, part of our summer reading series. You're listening to The Way Home. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. My guest is John Zangula. He is the author of 
of a book called From Utopia to the American Dream, which the title itself, uh, John, is is really fascinating because obviously utopia referencing the sort of communist situation that you and your family were in uh, during the uh, the revolution in Hungary with Russia and Germany and everything you, your family had to endure. And then coming to America in 1957, when you came over, were, were you by yourself? Did you leave your family behind? How did that work? Yes, I left my family behind, but I, I escaped with my with with my good lifelong friend, who is now in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we came together, and I was lucky enough to uh, win a scholarship to uh, Wabash College, Indiana. <clears throat> and uh, I, after college, I came to Hollywood, and uh, because I was I was a Let's, let's just say an amateur actor in Hungary also. And, and so I was, I was going to try my luck with Hollywood. And, uh, uh, I, I did that for 10 years. I gave myself 10 years to succeed. And I was, I was able to make a living at acting, but mm-hmm. it wasn't satisfying at all because, uh, I don't know how long we'll have to be trying. So, uh, I, I left, uh, I left uh, the acting world actually uh, parallel to trying to go into business and the business more was more successful than the acting world. However, for 10 years, I made a living at it, but it was not satisfying. So I, in, in my time, since, uh, since uh, the time is so, so slow, uh, so short, I, uh, I tried 20 different businesses. And, uh, and, uh, I, uh, my brother joined me who also escaped later on after me. And I didn't know he did that, but we joined together and, uh, started 20 d- different businesses. And, uh, the, uh, some of them were successful, some of them were successful, but not satisfying to me. So I, I was going to try to get into solar, the solar energy business. And I was very, very successful. Uh, and, uh, we, we built a, uh, with several other people. Of course, uh, I, I managed to get money for this and also, uh, uh through uh, partnerships. And we built a, uh, uh, solar energy, energy power plant in Nevada. Several of them actually, smaller ones, five megawatts, two megawatts, three megawatts, seven megawatts. But we built a big, a big one, uh, 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 70 megawatts in, in Nevada, state of Nevada. And at what, uh, at what po- a t- time in hi- was this in your life? Like how many years ago was that, that you this, did the solar company? I started to gather this together and invent uh, the company and so forth and be able to do, uh, more than just solar panels on the rooftop. But make energy. That was about thirty years ago, believe it or not. Wow! And, so here yeah. you are. Here you are, an immigrant from Hungary, where you were under communist rule, fearing for your life and your and your parents as well, and and living under uh, bombing and and such as this. Then you come to America, where you've really heard that there is the American dream, and not only did you 
prove that, but you lived it to, to such an incredible degree. How is it looking back now? Is it just because America truly was and should hopefully still be the land of opportunity for anyone? If you have a dream, regardless of where you're from or what your background is or what color your skin is, no matter what, is it true still? Do you think that the American dream is possible? Yes, it is possible, but it would be awful hard in today's world. Uh, I, I don't want to get into politics with in this interview, but it, it will be very difficult right now. But I remember I started this in 30 years ago, or even thinking about it even before, and I was able to pull it together, pull, pulled a, a great bunch of people with money together, as well as my own, and uh, we 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 invented it. Uh, it was a it was a, it was a solar power. It's we uh, we we dif- it was it's totally different than what you may see on rooftops. Yes, in in uh, in we we got a, a, a unfortunately by the time we got all nearly seventy years old and seventy five in the in the company we were successful to get a large uh, uh, a project together in Nevada. And uh, it took us uh, about three years to to build it, and it it uh, it does it's 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 functioning even today. However, we sold it, and uh, uh, most everybody retired from from the group because we we were all old guys. So, <laughs> oh, but I find this absolutely incredible. So, thirty years ago. Here, it's every, all the talk now, all about, you know, renewable energy and such. And 30 years ago, being an immigrant in this country, you've not, you were a pioneer in it. It sounds as though you were one of, one of the first. Yes, yes. uh, We were one of the first successful ones. Uh, The French tried it and uh, Israelis were very, very far ahead of trying to do this. Uh, And, but we were the ones who succeeded it. Of course, right now, since we're not in the business anymore, we sold this to a French, to a Spanish company, Asiona, called Asiona Energy, I think. Uh, it's a Spanish company and they, they own it now. And not a problem, even all, after all these years, it's still, still doing very, very well. And, oh, uh, so, so are you an engineer? Um, in addition, first of all, let's just tell people you are the true definition of what what we call a renaissance man. This is a, a gentleman that really, whatever he puts his mind to, he does it, whether it's uh, learning to be a pilot, learning to sail uh, boats, uh, writing, acting, starting this solar company 30 years ago and having it be successful and change the world of renewable energy. This is truly the life of a renaissance man and and doing it as someone who arrived here in his 20s I, I really find it just an incredible, what an incredible life you've had. Were you able, John Zingula, to bring your family eventually over to America? Uh, yes, but uh, they were all visiting several times. My, my, I had, I had two sisters. My, my mother and father luckily was able to come there. They were quite uh, advanced in age. And they they came. Uh, uh, I 
I I had them here about three times. And the last time, the last time, uh, uh, my my mother couldn't stand it any longer because my two sisters, you know, we were all getting married and so forth. And she wanted to be with them, you know. And But my father stayed and he said, I will not go home until you can come with me. You don't, you don't have to worry about it because uh, every, a lot of people is trying that nobody's getting into trouble. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go home and with you and we stop in Vienna and talk, uh, try, try to get, get the Hungarian uh, 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 embassy to give us the, uh, the okay to go home. And uh, we lined up. We were the first pair. My father, of course, was a, was not a U.S. citizen. I was a U.S. citizen by then. And we st- started to line up in front of the Hungarian embassy at 6 o'clock in the morning, and there were about 30, 40 people behind us. They were all refugees, but they were all in Europe. So they knew they knew they were been do- doing that several times. <clears throat> this would have been my first time. And my father said, don't worry about it. It's changed a little and you, you, nothing's going to happen to you. So we I, we got into Hungary. I, I bought a Mercedes-Benz in, in Germany. And uh, uh, we we went into, Hung- into the Austrian embassy and the Hungarian embassy in Austria. And they said, okay, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll get you there. Okay, to go. At, th- at three o'clock in the afternoon, we were still waiting. So finally they said, okay, we'll just go on, go on into the, into the border. They just get it. We'll, you know, we'll notice the border that you can go home. Back to Hungary. Well, uh, it was a very, very strange situation because we were, I don't know how much time you have, but can I can I tell you this part of the story? Sure, sure. Okay, they uh, uh, we went into the uh, went to the border, and uh, there were about thirty forty cars already lined up by the time we got through, and unfortunately, uh, they knew the story of my coming to Hungary at the border. Because the Austrian embassy informed them. They knew and, that you had left uh, communist Hungary at the time when you were 20 years old and you escaped, basically, right. to come to America. So, and they knew your background and your story. Sure, sure they knew. Uh, and uh, so uh, uh, they they unloaded everybody's car, you know, everything, to lifted the seats up and everything. What was strange for me, and of course I realized why, that uh, my new Mercedes-Benz was not ransacked like they did. It was full of gifts, of course, for the family. And uh, they just looked here, looked there, looked there. And they said, you can go. So we drove clear across the country of Hungary to Debrecen. And uh, there were several people waiting for us, the whole family and everything else. They haven't seen me for what, what, uh, 15, 20 years at that time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and so, uh, uh, they, uh, uh, we sourced, you know, sourced out the gifts and all that for the 300 FCL Mercedes Benz. And, uh, the next day, next morning at dawn, my mother wakes me up 
And she said, she said, somebody's looking at your car. It was in under locked door inside her garden. Well, it was the police, and uh, uh, <laughs> they uh, they interrogated me after that, and I had to have to go to the police every once a week, and uh, it was just terrible. It was just terrible. But they couldn't do any harm to me because I was an American citizen by then. I see. And, but they and, didn't. And how long it was Hungary at that point? It was liberated. It was no longer under communist rule at this point, 20 years later. So that would have been in the middle 70s. No, no, no. They, uh, the, the Russians left uh, Hungary in, uh, in 1990. Oh, so it was still. It was still communist Hungary. Yes, right. And I had to go into the embassy, into the police station in Debrecen sometimes twice a week. And they constantly watched me. And everywhere we go, I always told my whoever I went with, I said, "Look, that's the police car on on uh, on March." <laughs> that's a short of it. If you like to hear some more, well, it's 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 it reads like a movie. It really reads like a movie. But because of the the sake of the the length of the show, um. I guess we, we're going to have to just wrap it up in just a couple of minutes here. But I, so you were able to then obviously go back and forth to Hungary and you, but you stayed permanently in America. Did you, oh, yeah. did you, did you have a family here as well? My brother, my Your brother was with me early on. I, I think I told you we start, I started about 20 businesses and he was part of it. The, the first, Half of it, let's say. And then we parted company because uh, I was more urgent than he was to succeed. <laughs> Let me just put it this way. And and then I separated and I started the solar business, uh, 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 Solar Power International, you know. But, well, uh, we closed up about two years ago. So figure 30 years prior to that is when it was started. And... Um, we were very, very successful. We, we, uh, uh, I don't know how to begin on before I start another long story here. Well, you. that's okay. No, I wanted, I think the one thing that I want to just kind of finish out is with more of a sort of a, a an inspirational message from you as someone who, who, did live through all of that being in your eighties now and living in America. And you truly, many of your dreams came true. So many of them more than I would say that most people live in. You, you had about five lifetimes in one lifetime. You're just that type of a person. It seems like, but, (laughs) but you really, you were able to live what they do call the American dream. And I, and I also grew up overseas and so I have a perspective of this country also from the perspective of other, of what it's like to be in other countries that aren't, don't necessarily operate the same way. They're be- very beautiful in their own right and they have their own culture and custom, which I mean, I fell in love with that. I lived in Brazil for many years of my childhood in Australia and got to see the whole world. And, but it really was, it was very obvious as I grew up, you know, how different our country was in so many ways and the opportunities that were available here and how people around the world 
saw America throughout the, all of that and, and were, were very, I'm going to say envious doesn't sound like the right word, but they really, they looked upon what we have here in America and the ability to be who you are, like you did come emigrate here, being an immigrant and able to make so many successful dreams come to pass. Um, people from all over the world often think that about our country. And so that to me is just something that we need to preserve. And with, with your book from utopia to the American dream that you have written here, this beautiful life story of yours, it's a great reminder of the stark differences of, and without being political, but a free country, a free nation and one that's not free and, and how we, can't take that for granted because it just it you know it can change very quickly if people aren't looking for it so i think that your your beautiful lesson here of of what what life was like for you and what it is here but you know i have a a dream right now to go to hungary myself because uh, my niece is dating a a wonderful young man from budapest Mm -hmm. and she just got back from there and said it's the most beautiful country and i'm so grateful that obviously those days of being occupied that you had to live through in your family. Now it's apparently a very distant, uh, history and, and the young people are growing up in a very beautiful Hungary right now. Yeah. I, 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 uh, uh, I, I go back now about two, three times a year, uh, because the Russians left and thank God for that. And, uh, uh the, uh, uh, may I say, may I, Say that we started a uh, a, uh, uh, a, uh, a website for the book, and it's it's called DreamUSA.net. And you 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 mentioned about film. That's what we're trying to do now. And, it's to turn yeah. your your book and your story of your life into a film. That's right. That that book. Yes. That's incredible. From Utopia to the American Dream. And again, give us the website one more time, John. Dream, D-R-E-A-M, USA, dot net. Dream, USA, dot net. And there you can find the book, right? And you can also, people can, maybe if someone is a great film producer that's within earshot of our radio show today, you never know. It could be an incredible story to tell. Well, I know I know a lot of uh, people in Hollywood because, uh, like I mentioned, I was an actor. That was my first dream, of course. That uh, didn't materialize. I, I assume that it would have if I just stuck to it for another twenty years. <laughs> and but uh, I, I wrote this book, and we're trying to make it into a movie. Uh, the you. People can go to the dreamusa.net right now, but it's very, it's a, it's very, very, very beginning. The, uh, the rest, uh, the, uh, about 80% of the, of the, uh, uh, website is being done now. Okay. But the only thing that you could find at this moment is it'll direct you to the Amazon, Amazon book. That's where the book is sold. And there's a picture of a young, uh, young John Zingula on the cover, very handsome, from <laughs> Utopia to the American Dream. It must be you at about the time you came to America when you were twenty years old. Uh, I was no, the picture is later. They, 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 this is actually one of the uh, my acting pictures. Uh, oh, that I, okay. That I, you... 
that uh, thousands of them that I had to make for for agents and so forth. Well, it's it's yeah. a beautiful picture, and you have a beautiful story, and it is real about the American dream. So from Utopia to the American dream, you can go and find it on Amazon and also go to dreamusa.net to follow uh, the wonderful story to see if it ends up on the big screen. I don't see how it could not. It's really a compelling story. And you are a compelling man. Thank you so <laughs> much, John Zingula, for your wonderful, uh, just a, a journey into your your life and your story. And, uh, really, truly, it's, it's, it's a good, it's a great American story. And I'm, I'm happy you were with us today. Thank you. Thank you for all the compliments and thank you for the interview. You're listening to The Way Home. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. I get so inspired by people. I am, am amazed by resiliency in human nature. It is truly something to behold. And whether it's grieving and then learning to come out of that to, to live joyously once again, or fleeing a country with conflict and coming to America and making all of your dreams come true, humanity is really something to behold. And these authors of these books that um, have been on the program for the last several weeks are just really totally inspiring to me. And so I'm so grateful to have had all of them on. But today, Beth Ann Blackwood and John Zingula. Well, I'm always grateful to have Jim Cleefield on. He is the guru of good news. And he's always got it. He's here every single week. He is like clockwork and we love him for it. Jimmy, what do you have for us today? Well, I'm going to tell you about this great story in Detroit about a woman who's a traffic control officer. She's been doing it for a number of years. Her name is Lenita Edge. And uh, she just is just a wonderful personality, uh, just really beloved in the city, helping people go from place to place. She gabs with people, just uh, saying hi and hope your day is going well. But one day, she caught the attention of social media, somebody on TikTok. Uh, there was an account called MD Motivators and a guy named Zachary who noticed what she has been doing. And uh, he went to interview her while she was on duty in the middle of the road, very safely, though. Nobody got hurt or anything like that. She was wishing uh, everybody a happy Mother's Day coming up when he found out that uh, maybe, you know, he'd like to do some good for her because it, it turns out Lenita sadly had lost her husband not long ago. And um, so he wanted to do something for her as kind of a special surprise Mother's Day gift. Well, it turns out she's a Tigers fan, okay? And uh, Zachary surprised her with t a ticket to see the Tigers play and also uh, asked her, and she asked about the invite, said, well, is this invite related to how much I make as far as my paycheck. He gave her another surprise, $500 in cash. Now, but that was not all. When they got to the park and they got to see the game, very secretly, Zachary was starting a special GoFundMe campaign to help her out a little more financially. You know what she ended up with? I think uh, five, 100 times that amount, $500. $50,000 he surprised her with a check that was presented by one of the Detroit Tigers players, I think it was the catcher, wow. who gave it to her. And just, and now, I mean, it's like she's just really, really happy just to make her Mother's Day and her life really special because she's done such good for people that uh, just somebody decided to give back. I mean, through social media, the power of social media, uh, recognizing somebody who's done so, so much good. And uh, I'm sure she's so much happier now. Lenita Edge. That is a, that, it, Amazing, Lenita Edge. And, you know, it's really, I, I read a book one time that talked about how 
these special people that we often do not know either by name or we don't know them personally, but we see them every day. They're part of the fabric of our lives, whether it's a crossing guard or someone at the local deli, or maybe it's just a person who sits on the bench every day and watches, you know, people go by or whatever. These are the, the, the silent beauty uh, of wonderful people in our lives that we don't realize how much it means to us that we see them, that they are there and they are part of our everyday living. And even if we don't get to know them so, so closely, they, they really do take a special place in our hearts. So somebody like Lenita Edge, I can understand why this guy, probably after years and years of seeing her do all that she did, directing traffic and such, and just, you know, probably with so much joy in her heart and with so much kindness in the way she did it. And this video it on TikTok must, surely must have gone viral. I mean, how could he have possibly gotten that 50000 So good for him. That's incredible. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. Those are the stories that make you just feel a lot of hope for the world. And a lot of joy as well. Thank you so much, Jimmy, for always finding the good ones. And Bob Small, thank you for engineering yet another edition of The Way Home. You're welcome. And for all of you, may you also uh, be the light in someone's life, whether you are aware of it or not, just with your smile, your kindness, your good deeds, and just being who you are. Have a great week, everyone. Lots of love from The Way Home. I'm Laura Smith. Laura Smith.